Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a collector thinks he's cornered the market on rare Pez dispensers, but the company's CEO wants to shut him down. We'll discuss the documentary, The Pez Outlaw. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, My Husband and Love of My Life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Kevin, maybe someday I will love you as much as these Pez dispenser people love each other. Just ah, saying. They that love c- each other or they love their Pez? <laughs> that couple is in love. Oh, they are We'll talk love. about it. All right, yeah. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of Cozy Exeter Mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally... Our resident Doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin, this is Thursday's Crime Writers On. Yes. We also have a show coming out on Monday. As always. What is the topic of Monday's episode? We're going to be talking about the Netflix series, Murdoch Murders, a Southern Scandal. Oh, what's that goody, about? Goody. What's I that about? I am looking forward to talking about that. Guess what? What? It's about the Murdoch murders. Oh, my goodness. And you remember that I was on the island where they had their little vacation home last summer, so I am particularly interested in this now. Oh, yes. well, you're the expert. Yes. Well, I saw it when they were showing pictures at the trial. I was like, oh, my God, that's the downstairs of the house that I scoped out and walked by when I heard about it. So I can I tell really you that Mandy Matney is not in this but, miniseries. But uh, her, her former boss is. From Fitz mm. News. Briefly in the miniseries. Mm. Very briefly. Very briefly in the miniseries. It's a very, it's actually very in-depth and interesting. Well, well, we'll talk about it next week. All right. Well, Kevin, we have a very um, quirky thing to talk about on the podcast. Yeah, we do. Right now. So I think we should just, I don't know, pop our heads off of our necks little candy come out of the hole Ran and talk about it. all the way back. <laughs> Look all the way up at the ceiling. Who, whose idea was it to like have the candy come out of the neck? Seriously. That's I mean, a great question. Who thought, what a wonderful way to eat a candy. Pop a head open off of a stick and put your mouth on the neck like a little vampire and grab that candy out of the neck. Really? Who came like up that? with that idea? Philip Morris? I don't know. <laughs> it's gross. It's super gross. Fortunately, they did not cover that in this documentary. It's <laughs> where the Pez came from. And I also want to know, There by was the way, like an actual, like, noticeable lack of, of historical background on Pez. I also want to know, by the way, and this is like, you know, pre-content content, 
who decided that these things were collectible? Really? Right? Well, I mean, if cereal boxes crushed up and flattened are collectible, what the hell isn't collectible? Okay, I think it's time to go ahead and drop that first clip. (laughs) Now that we started talking about it, I'm going to do that right now. When I'd get home and open that bag, it was diamonds. It was gold. Pez. I won the lottery. It's like printing money. (laughs) Steve Glue was a part-time flea market vendor when he was introduced to the world of Pez dispensers. Learning collectors would pay big money for rare versions of the popular candy holders, Glue hatched a plan to visit Eastern Europe and get Pez dispensers not available in the U.S. Pez USA would say no. No, stupid, we hate it. No, no, you're ignorant, we hate it. But everything unique and creative that they came up with, I could not get enough of. Connoisseurs marveled at Steve's collection of rare dispensers and paid top dollar for them. But the president of a company's U.S. subsidiary flipped his lid and vowed to shut down the bootleg operation any way he could. And in all honesty... Scott McQuinney was my arch nemesis. Oh, I hate his guts. And that's when I decided to become the Pez Outlaw. The documentary The Pez Outlaw profiles Steve Glue and his attempt to outsmart the candy maker and corner the collectibles market. Glue plays himself in lighthearted recreations of his smuggling operation, and the documentary features diehard collectors and corporate antagonists who recount how the operation flourished and eventually collapsed. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the Pez Outlaw. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. All right, so Kevin, this is a bloodless true crime-ish story? Yeah. In what way? Well, no one died. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're always kind of looking for true crime that is not on the the gory side. Sometimes those can be hard to come by. We've seen a big shift towards the con man kind of story. And here is something in a similar vein. It's about a regular guy who has a dream. Now, is it He's somewhat he in a, a regular guy. It's not a well. A, he has a dream to drive a Volkswagen Rabbit repeatedly <laughs> through Hungary. Yeah, I mean, you, you can sum up like this whole story beginning to end in the time an elevator takes to go up or down. But it's it's victimless, Kevin. Yes. Well, except for corporate America, who cares about them? It's a victimless yeah. crime, and that's why we and it can is embrace a victimless it. crime. Yeah, right. And he's a quirky guy. There's surprising depth to him, and. Uh, He makes for a good protagonist. I actually don't think it's surprising. I think it is like, and I'm not not saying you're offensive, Kevin. I actually think it's offensive (laughs) that documentary makers and that like people think that it's surprising when regular people have depth. Because a lot of people, most people have depth and have interesting stories. Most people do. And the fact that like we look at somebody who like worked in a factory and made like 10 bucks an hour and we're like, oh my God, we're so surprised that he's so soulful. Like that, the fact that we would like sort of put that at the center and make that the subject of a whole documentary. That's really what it's about is like this weird guy who like did this thing, but like at its heart, it's like, and I'm like, but everybody has a story to tell in a way. You know what I mean? But he's very smart. 
obviously. And I think a lot of the point of it is that, like, maybe he's a man who's trapped in the wrong life. I don't know, Laura, what do you think about the style of this documentary? It certainly is quirky. I love cereal boxes. They're just fun, Captain Crunch. And they're a part of my childhood. We were the generation that ate the sweet cereal. And I eat the sweet cereal still. It's super quirky. And it reminded me of the cocaine island type. You know, we have this guy who's a little quirky who also does his own stunts. (laughs) And I mean, oh, he's got gray hair here. Now he's got his like dark beard on, but we still know it's him. And he gets to like recreate all these funny things. So I liked the style of this because, again, I go back to like this was a crime where I didn't feel bad like rooting for him because the people that were the alleged victims in this, like whatever. But I think that the directors in this just were able to bring humor to it through these like dramatic reenactments. And it was like very stylized. There was parts of it that were sort of almost like a parody, I think, (laughs) as as he's like, and they're like showing these dark images of him and his Volkswagen rabbit outside a factory. And they're like, Hungary. And then he's got his little duffel bag, like running away. I mean, it was just when you, you know, go back to, he's like a Tom Clancy fan. So they almost make this like farcical sort of take on Tom Clancy in the way that they are having him reenact his like black market Pez. Like he's like the Robin Hood of the Pez underground. Hmm. Like he's stealing from the rich to give to the poor. I, I, he's stealing I from it, the rich to sell to the rich. <laughs> to sell to the poor, yeah. Because there's like that lady that had the shirt, like the, like she's like, and I've spent like, I don't know, however much it was. $11,000 like, on, on a Pez. And I'm like, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? But I'm like, hey, you know what? This just shows. To each their collector. own. It wasn't even Bubble Boy. Uh, Kevin, I just one quick question. Yeah. Did you keep, did you wonder how they covered up his giant white beard with that tiny brown beard? Right, I was like, it can't be this. It can't be him playing himself. His his beard is too long. He had a, and, he had a giant ZZ hey, Top beard, and then the recreations he had a tiny little brown beard. How did they do that? Well, I would imagine, and this this is just my guess, is that they did all the interviews because then they had to go back and write the script for all the reenactments. So he might have trimmed it, or they just might have put a bag. It's, it's fucking Hollywood. They can do that. It's a beard yeah, they green screened it. Yeah, they green screened it. Look, can I just defend my earlier comment sure. because? He, uh, I wasn't saying he, you were offensive. I know, I know, but I feel like I need to clarify because okay. you're right. When he comes off, you see, you know, he says weird, right? But the reason I thought he ended up being so soulful is that in those recreations where he is acting, he's clearly acting, but like you say, the beard and the hat, all you see are his eyes and he's emoting with them and his eyes look sad anyway. So if there's a thing where, you know, running around kind of crazy, that's something, but like in the quieter moments, when he's looking around, I thought, I was like, wow, that's actually, I'm really kind of touched by that. I was busy being what I call Pez Outlaw and doing what I needed to do to earn what I thought was being a man then. But I knew that I needed to be better. Look, when we saw Cocaine Island, where they did the same kind of thing, that has the same kind of vibe, like, I didn't get that from that guy. It was fun, and he's throwing, you know money around and they're doing kind of the same thing but i also didn't it set me up for at the end when we really feel bad for his situation that i was like oh i feel extra bad so toby why do you think steve did this documentary i found myself asking that question so i did all the way through and then you get to the end and you realize that he's like lost five hundred thousand dollars he's two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt 
which makes me look back at it and feel badly about it. Cause I, I mean, I think this must be a way for him to try and recoup some of that money. Like part of it might be his aesthetic, you know, that he wants to like dress up weird and cruise around a Willy Wonka set with a bunch of Pez things. But it's, it's definitely strange. And, you know, when you talk about this being a victimless crime, like what he did was victimless, but he then became like a victim not to get into all this shit again, but it did seem like it was kind of like the classic capitalist thing where yep. you've got one small fish trying to do something and a much, much bigger fish sees it and just fucking squashes them like a bug through no effort. Like it literally took them no effort. They're like, oh, we'll just make a whole bunch of the ones that look just like his. And that was it. You know, I guess looking back on it, maybe I feel a little bit better about it. Like from the very beginning, I was like, okay, I'm like absolutely not the audience for this. Like this is not going to be, <laughs> this is not up my alley, even though it's about a subculture, even though it's not you get some good for you. <laughs> subculture dynamics going on. They don't dive into it the way they could have like that Austrian Pez collector, like that guy could have been an awesome villain in this whole thing. Like he's just, he's awesome. And they just like keep little bits of him. But if he was like the counterpoint to Steve, who, who, you know, I, I think Steve's sincere. I don't believe half of the stuff he says when he's talking about his Pez exploits, but I do think he's sincere in what he wants to achieve. He's certainly sincere about his relationships with his family, but contrasted with this like brash arrogant austrian pez collector it seemed like there was there was potential there anyway that guy's the living embodiment of schadenfreude that guy is like there's like that guy is like uh the villain in die hard he sort of reminded me hans gruber yeah he's like the hans gruber of the pez Gruber is way too uh, cool he's like He's got like his secret hiding place is something where he's got a, a, a ladder leaning up against a barn and then he brings a ladder open to this thing that is unlocked and he just like crawls through it. He's like, oh, no, you can't come up here. There's too much secret stuff up here. I'm like, dude, like literally as soon as you go to bed, anybody can get up there. I don't, <laughs> and you're on Netflix showing us. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I always said to you, are you mad doing a, a movie about Steve? Okay. In my, you know, in my eyes, you're you're making a movie about the loser. So uh, why are you doing that? I would love it if someone from the Pez company were to like respond to me, maybe on Twitter about this. Why it was necessary for them to ruin Steve's little enterprise? Because every Pez collector is good for your fucking business. They're evangelists for your goddamn brand, right? I mean, there have been times where I've seen like, there was like one time, okay, this has not happened a million times, maybe one or two times where I've seen like bootleg crime writers on merch, like on Etsy or whatever. And I'm like, I don't fucking care. Like someone's making $10 selling a t-shirt with like our logo on it. I'm like, that means more people in the world are wearing t-shirts with our logo. And I'm granted, if our business was making t-shirts with our logo on it, great. But Pez is already selling this product so cheaply, they're not making like a huge profit on the dispenser, right? These people are making big profits on the dispenser, but they are also creating a marketplace that Pez can then exploit by doing special edition dispense. Like these people are good for them. It's just like something about Steve, like specifically because he was winning, pissed them off. No, it's all about Scott McWitty. 
who is the president of Pez USA. And he's just a dick? The president. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think we all have had a dick boss who, like, you just have to do what he wants you to do. Oh, have you, Kevin? Oh, more than once. (laughs) He got something. He got a hair across his ass about Steve and this whole idea that that made that somehow there be he being taken advantage of and trying to pull one over on me. And he took it really personally. And I think that's in the end the way they finally bring Steve down by taking all of his special ones and then like mass producing it so that the the value of Steve's stuff goes down to nothing. Just seemed really personal. Yeah, it was personal. And I could see why he would take it so hard. It's one thing if you say, here's the subpoena, we're going to court, you lose, you can't do that. That's sort of like the normal way things get done and you lose and you can be really upset. To come up and say, we're doing this whole fucking thing, we're going to take you, and this is how we're taking you out, that just seemed cruel. Yeah. Because they had to look you know, at him across the convention It's hard to say, floor. you know, capitalism, that seemed cruel. Yeah, that seemed personal. Yeah. Yeah. So, Laura, the whole collector's world, which we get to look into, I can't really relate. I mean, you know, I collect outer known blanket shirts, but I also wear them, right? So, <laughs> nice pants. I think that's collecting, but yeah. So, so like, um, there's a cereal box collector's market. Did, did you know that? No. I mean, I guess <laughs> this documentary, I think what I found so fascinating is just a window into there are collectors. For everything. I mean, there. I believe right now there's also a show, I want to say maybe on HBO, about like Beanie Baby collectors. And that one doesn't surprise me as much. But the cereal boxes and the level of organization of the cereal boxes was kind of next level. I mean, they were broken down. They were flat. They were organized by whatever. We see the guy eating cereal. We see his pets eating cereal. And it kind of made me want to ask, like, what do the crime writers on? What do we collect? I mean, I'm Plants. looking around my house. Lego, Legos. You collect cats. I collect Everyone. Legos. I collect I Lego collect things. Cats. Yeah. I also collect leggings. I have two drawers of really fun leggings. But I guess uh, part of me was wondering, like, what do the people take away from collecting cereal boxes? Like, how is that gratifying? And I guess maybe in their world it is, but I was just like, so what? You just go down and you're like, oh, I remember this Captain Crunch was a really good vintage. <laughs> like, I feel like that's like a whole other podcast or like a whole other documentary, like the psychology of collectors of things that are so obscure and random that you're like, why is that a thing? Yeah. How is that a thing? Yeah. But what was interesting in this one is then you see like the Pez people that are also next level. And again, like the Bubble Boy Pez, the first Pez to like, <laughs> so escape, ugly. like I'm like, Oh, it looks like the three little pigs, like, and I huffed and I puffed and I blew the house down. Like, why is that interesting? Like, can we at some point talk about this guy and his wife? We will. We will. After the business section, which we're going to transition to briefly right now. Right, Kevin? Let's do that. What have we got going on our Patreon, Kevin? Well, at Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Peasants in crime media. Peasants, yes. No, partners in crime media. Speaking of little tiny sweet things, Toby Ball has the Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Toby's a little tiny sweet thing. And Toby recently recorded uh, the latest episode. The book was called Karachi Vice. Toby, tell us what this book was about and what you thought. It's a good book. It's uh, it's basically about the journalist who wrote it, Samira Shackle, uh, follows about five different people who live in Karachi, uh, very different walks of life, different areas of the city, 
and how they deal with, and this is like sort of 2005 to 2015 or something, how they deal with the violence and corruption in Karachi. And there's a whole lot of stuff that was happening in that time, which I was personally completely ignorant of. But it's, you know, Karachi's seven, uh, three times the size of London. Oh. It's it's just a nor- It's like 20 million people. I, I don't know. It was really, I, I didn't know anything about Karachi. And this book is fascinating. The people that she writes about are all really interesting. And the way they approach sort of trying to get, get by with their lives in, these, in this very difficult city, uh, the trade-offs, things like that. So anyway, uh, we had a really good discussion about it. It's a, it's a really interesting book, which I, I highly recommend. If you want to hear Toby's discussion or any of the other great things we have on Patreon, including the Crime Writers on After Show, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast or Mary with podcast, you can get 14 days free to give it a try. Just go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You can sign up 14 days. Listen to everything. Yes. A lot of people do that. Sticking around. Yes. A couple people downloading all 300 podcast episodes and leaving like an asshole. Really? No, I'm just kidding. No one's doing that. Oh, my God. A lot of people come around. Checking it out. Taking food out of our mouths, people. No, they're doing great. Taking the braces out of our children's heads. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> One of the great things we have uh, is our latest episode of Married with Podcast. Rebecca and I dispense relationship advice, including to one woman who was really shocked that her husband said, no, I'm not going to that lesbian wedding. Oh, my God. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Also, her house is on fire. Also in Crime Writers <laughs> On, yesterday was uh, the latest episode of These Are Their Stories. And in this podcast, we're talking about the SVU episode with the Mean Girls. Yes! Where one mean girl takes out another mean girl. Spoiler alert, Kevin. I know it came out in 2004, but geez. If you don't know that, then you're probably not watching, but it's a really great episode. Great guest, too. Sonia Sells. uh, She tweets as Hillary Banks. She's one of my favorites. (laughs) Love her. Love her. All right, Kevin, uh, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Jessica Cato Zakis and Leroy Johnson. Bless you. Bless you, Jessica and Leroy. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you for everybody who supports us on Patreon. Thank you to those who don't and who just muscle through the business section anyway. We appreciate can, all can of Can I you. say Kazuntite to our patron saints instead of bless you? You can. <laughs> Thank you, Lara. Gazuntite. All right, that ends the business section. I'm going to fade that music out right now. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. So, Laura, you wanted to talk about the extreme hotness that there was uh, <laughs> between the couple at the center of this documentary, Steve and his wife, right? That's just they, they just oozed sex. They could have their own podcast. Sparks were flying, well, right? Yeah, I mean, I have to say it was, I loved it because, you know, you've got him. He kind of looks like a caricature of like ZZ Top Santa. They're like Bilbo Baggins is what he looked like. Yeah. yeah, you got her and she's like, 
well, he's just kind of a creative person, but his mind wanders a lot. But the the segue into their relationship is she's like talking about um, it was lust at first sight. And she goes, and we had good sex. We still do. And I'm like, oh, good for you. Oh, guys. my goodness. I was I was kind of inspired. So I would like an entire documentary about how they keep the spark alive. Quite huh. honestly, it was not love at first sight. It was lust at first sight. Let me say the sex was really good <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> what do you think of this couple, Kevin? Are you inspired? Is I inspired? Yeah. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, I think that the laughing about, uh, you know, their sex life aside, they really love each other. Don't and he? he really leans on her. And she's so supportive. And we find out, you know, more and more about his uh, emotional, mental issues that he's dealing with. And he's certainly trying to find himself. And that, that's sort of like what we get out of him. But... I don't know if I could say it like this, but I'm looking at them and I think, man, I hope he goes first because I don't know what he would do without her. I completely agree with you. So, Toby, what did you think of Steve's plan here when he completely legally commissioned his own Pez dispensers after, quote, illegally importing Pez dispensers from, you know, procuring them directly from Eastern Europe, which, by the way, didn't appear to be illegal at all to me, considering that Pez never registered their uh, customs marks and like never like made that an illegal thing to do. Yeah. I don't I didn't understand that at all. Why I like me illegal. now. Oh, by the way, how funny was that German guy at the end who was like, we have an expression in Germany. It's like, that's best. Bah. <laughs> anyway, what what did you think of, of like the fact that he like devised this new scheme, which also seemed to be completely fine? I don't know. As soon as he started talking about it, my heart began to sink for him because it just didn't seem like that was going to work out very well. Like, yeah. I, like he was going to be charging like $25 for a Pez dispenser. And you know, while I know there are people who will spend $25 for a Pez dispenser, and I'm sure he knows how to reach all of them, I can't imagine that that number is huge. And I wasn't even thinking about the fact that the people at Pez would just squash him because quite honestly, if you have a Pez dispenser but you don't have any Pez, that's not all that awesome. So you would think the Pez, the Pez people would be just like, this is just more Pez I can sell. Um, you would yeah, think that, wouldn't you? That's what would follow in my mind. Like, it is kind of weird in that Pez dispensers are only good for one thing, and that's delivering Pez. And in your mind. It's, cer- <laughs> it's sort of like this own little ecosystem that's all coming from Pez. So when somebody makes a knockoff Pez dispenser, it's like the only thing you're trying to do is take market share of our very specific thing that we do. So I, it doesn't surprise me that Pez would feel, you know, annoyed. Again, it's like how many people are going to buy this $25 Pez dispenser? We can get one for $199 plus a thing of Pez to put in it at the local grocery store. It just doesn't seem like you're competing on the same thing. The only way I'm buying the $25 Pez dispenser is if it's got like Pez CBD slash THC slash something in the Pez. Right. But I will say again. So I put on my Viagra. You are creating, <laughs> creating demand around evangelism for the yeah. brand. I yes. do not get why that is bad in any way. Well, no one is saying this is a white paper for building market share or activating a rabid fan base. I think a lot of it, I don't know how explicitly they go in. It's certainly what I inferred was that, you know, the problem 
was in part Steve's plan, although he was sort of in a gray area, but that instead of embracing the opportunity, the guy who was in charge of Pez, everybody says was arrogant and an asshole, just tried to get even or just tried to squash this guy. And it ends up being, you know, this David Goliath kind of thing about when a, you know, guy who's a machinist from Michigan just wants to follow his dream to go up against the man. Well, just wait until he gets stomped on. I think if it were, I don't know, right, if it's Hint Water or uh, if it's Outer Workout Shoes. This podcast is sponsored by a Hint Water, aspirationally. Yeah, like if Hint Water <laughs> says like, hey, would you stop talking about us on your stupid podcast? Nope, we're not going to do it because we love well, it. Well, that would say that would be a bad idea. You're the same thing for, you know, if I keep talking about cigars or whatever the heck it is, you know, just supposed to lean into that. And it was just more, I think if there were a different president, kind of the only thing about Pez that was cool was the name of the his title. If there was a different president, this might have gone down differently. Yeah. You could make it fun, right? I mean, it's a candy company. It's like Smarties with a strange delivery system. Why turn it into this like ruthless thing? Just freaking have fun. Like encourage people to make Pez machines. You know, it's like, I mean, it's a fucking niche candy, man. Like you don't see Pez around everywhere. When was the last time you saw somebody popping out a Pez machine, Pez dispenser? <laughs> I mean, it's just um, not, it's just not around. It's, it was it's probably like a, weird... a vape when you thought it was a Pez dispenser. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it may be as, as marijuana becomes more widely legal, perhaps that is what they could do is make, I think Laura's onto something with the THC uh, Pez candies. <laughs> I would totally buy that. We should patent that and then we should have our next enterprise. To go yes. to Taiwan. Mr. They could be, Whipple will fucking crush us. You know what they could be? Dispensary dispensers. That would be oh, amazing. A Pez dispensary. <gasps> oh my God. Ah. My mind is blown right now. You could have like a little Snoop Dogg one. Pez or dispensary. Toby for president of the Pez dispensary. Oh Jeez, my goodness. Broke. Look at us. We're right. so entrepreneurial. This is not part right. of that documentary, but... Toby, I got to say, I had a boss whose only idea, like if you called in sick, he just wanted to make sure that you're not playing him. Yes. Right. And that's yeah. all. And that is all this is really about that. Again, if it was somebody else, maybe they would have sick the lawyers on him or whatever. But to make this the guy's mission, you got you to fly to Europe to yell at all the guys, you know, running Pez International that you can't sell to this guy. And I love the fact that that guy, Gunter who actually ran those factories, kept playing off like, no, I don't know him. He's like the prototypical Eastern European bureaucrat. Like, no, just give me some money and you can do it. And I don't care. I'm putting it in my pocket and you don't know me. You don't know me. It's great. Gunther didn't give the money to Pez. He kept it. Oh, and the last thing he says as he's getting out of the car, he leans back in. He goes, I don't know you. I don't know you. Kevin, has enough time passed where we can say that your ex-boss would give you shit for taking sick days when you were getting your cancer treatments? That motherfucker. <laughs> that motherfucker. Yeah. Dude, what that doesn't take all day. That guy was. Yeah. That guy was a president. That was, I was salaried and I had to come back and stay late to make up for my 
visit to the doctor. All of the restraint that we had, we were doing the podcast at the time and the restraint that we oh, had man. to not talk about that on this stupid podcast. Oh, Good for us. High yeah, five, bro. high five. <laughs> My mom says you'll never regret taking the high road. <laughs> <laughs> no, I kind of do regret it though because you don't work for him anymore. That being said, one final thing I wanted to ask you, Lara, is it satisfying for you to see these people at the end are in fact horse people? I mean- I will say that horse people are a little bit nuts. I guess it doesn't really surprise me. I think it fits the stereotype. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, maybe my friend Ann and I can go visit their Pez ranch and ride their horses. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out... The Pez Outlaw. It's a documentary now streaming on Netflix. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Pez Outlaw? Yeah, you know what? I'm giving this a thumbs up. This was super fun to watch. If you have friends that are not necessarily into true crime and the style of documentaries we watch, if you loved The Legend of Cocaine Island and want a new hero to root for, The Pez Outlaw is the hero for you. If you love Volkswagen rabbits and you want to see more Volkswagen rabbits used as getaway cars, The Pez Outlaw is a documentary for you. So I'm giving it a big thumbs up. I enjoyed it. It's only an hour and a half long. It's kind of like a snack size sort of magazine feature told in documentary film form. And it was super fun. Toya Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Pez Outlaw? Yeah, this thing just was not made for me at all. Um, it, It didn't about... 15 minutes in, I was like, you know, I think I'm out on this. You know, the the main character, this guy, Steve, I think is, you know, I, I think it's in a lot of ways a likable guy. And I, I have some sympathy for him and his experience. Uh, I didn't necessarily need to know as much as I did or see it reenacted in these kind of wacky ways. So anyway, yeah, I mean, I could see like Laura really liked it. So I, I, I'm sure there are people who would like it. But that wasn't me. Um, I don't want to trash it, but I'm a thumbs down. Kevin Flynn. I'm going thumbs up. I liked it because it was uh, fun and quirky and visually interesting. Uh, It's really a character study about Steve, Uh, you know, a guy who has a dream and decides to leave the workforce to pursue it. And I think the four of us can relate to that. He's trying to find his own kind of happiness, dealing with his own struggles and it's working until the man comes along right like a pez candy it is sweet it is small it is not intended to have any sort of nutritional value just like this documentary it's just a fun little snack i'm with them sideways on this i didn't really super like it um but i also didn't hate it i will say i've now seen four movies in this style i've seen mcmillian's Cocaine Island, Pepsi Where's My Jet, and now this one. So this is a style of documentary making that is, for me, getting a little bit tired. The person doing their own reenactment, the sort of quirky, over-the-top, surreal, 
bringing the the Tom Clancy novel into the workplace kind of thing. And it's not fresh and new anymore. So there's that. Plus, I really want to agree with something that Toby said, which was, while I was watching this, all I could think about was the better documentary that could have been made using all of these same people. Steve should have been a character in a different documentary about the subculture of Pez collectors. Steve's story, by the way, of being completely like this capitalist little guy story could have been told in a better documentary about the super weird niche subculture of Pez collectors, the feuds within them, the different types of people who are like attracted to this collection culture, the huge money that goes into it. There's just stuff there that just didn't get into that I have so many questions about that I actually would have loved to have learned about. So, yeah, it didn't deliver on any of that stuff. And, you know, stylistically, it just felt a little bit like a retread for me. So I didn't hate it. Didn't like it. Thumb sideways for me. All right. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, we have a cat of the week and it is a TikTok sensation. Yes, really? I'm like, I'm feeling so hip. I'm on the TikTok. Good for you. I mean, I don't know how to use it, but I'm on the TikTok. And this cat wait, is wait, named... Wait, wait. When Lara Bricker uses the TikTok. Is that the voice? You know the voice? <laughs> <laughs> I find kittens of TikTok. Rescue cat. Kitten love. Cute. Anyway, Small Fry is a kitten that is on the TikTok. And she belongs to one of our listeners and has brittle bone disease. And she is still living her best life. And if you go watch My Small Fry on TikTok, you can see all the things that Small Fry has been up to. Is she like Mr. Glass in uh, Unbreakable, that uh, Shyamalan movie? <laughs> kind of. I'm not totally sure. I'm, I'm not, I'm going to have to do a little research, but I loved the cute little videos that I saw of Small Fry on TikTok, kind of going around doing Aww. like this little like funny little walk, but like still living her best life. Oh, I, so. feel like, I feel like Small Fry needs some vitamin D and calcium, but that, thank yes, you very much. Maybe Small Fry needs some hint water. <laughs> <laughs> you can never get enough of that hint water. Again, I have had three today and I never drink water. I've had five. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you with their animals who are social media stars or not. Any kind of animal can be cat of the week. Of course, they can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com. Post them on our Facebook group. But if they want to reach out to you directly on social media, how can they find you there? They can find me at Lara Bricker. And Joy Ball, folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, Pez dispensers are for more than just dispensing Pez. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, how can you be found? Find me at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on social media, find me at Reb Lavoie. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. You can also follow the show at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible group on Facebook. Just look for the Crime Writers On official Facebook discussion group. Go to our Facebook page, hit join the group, answer a couple questions, we'll let you in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the crime writers on after show, married with podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredible Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is my husband. 
Kevin Flynn. Mm-hmm. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin sells his extensive collection of cereal boxes, one per household. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. So I would like an entire documentary about how they keep the spark alive, quite honestly. An entire documentary? Well, no. I would like a seg I would like a side podcast. Maybe they could just come on Married with Podcast for five minutes. I don't know if I need an entire documentary. Yes, could they come on Married with Podcast for Parents and Spencers aren't the only thing they're collecting. <laughs> you can do more than just flick a guy's chin. <laughs> Does he do something funny with the, the, the beard? I don't know. <laughs> Partners in crime media. media.